Welcome to Mostly Talk, a podcast about business or an excuse to hear from some interesting people. We'll leave that up to you. Find out more at mostly.consulting. Welcome to Mostly Talk. My name is James Brewster, the host. This week's really exciting. We're talking to David Campisi, uh, former world champion uh, and just an excellent bloke. Uh, he lives in Sydney, Australia. Uh, we talk about all things rugby union uh, and and leadership and, and his career. Um, it's David Moffat that actually set up and introduced it to him. So thanks again to to him, to both David's uh, phenomenal people. And it's been great, great to speak to them and meet them from my attic in Glasgow. Hello. Hi, David. How are you? Uh, I'm well, mate. How are you going? Can you hear me all right? Yeah, perfect. Thank you. Yeah. And, uh, oh, cool. Thanks for your time. How are, you, how are you doing? Are you well? What, what are you doing with that English jersey on, mate? Really? I'm winding you up. I thought, uh, what oh, better way to... Oh, my goodness. What have I got to wind you up with? Um, not much, I suppose. <laughs> how, how are you? Are you well? Yeah. I'm well, thanks. Yes. You? Yeah, good. I'm. Uh, yeah, I've having a, a good time. We're uh, obviously UK is a bit different than Australia. You guys have got you got this mastered, haven't you? Well, yeah, you guys are going back into lockdown again, aren't you? That's right. I'm in. I'm in Glasgow, so all the pubs are closed, so everyone's uh, running riot. Oh, geez, you guys. What are you going to do over there, Glasgow? Sheesh. I, I've got young kids, like you, three kids. So I, I uh, or two and one on way. So are you guys are you guys allowed to go to school, the kids, or not really? Or yeah, our boys are at nursery age, so they're uh, they're fine. But we had a, an incident. It's very difficult to manage, you know. So it was just a, a kid in the nursery got was suspected to have COVID, so the whole thing shut down for two right, weeks. It's called it's called the flu. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But uh, but they're so resilient kids, and they just get on with it and don't care. So it's. Uh, it's good. Well, I think the thing is, if you look, that it's all obviously the elderly are the vulnerable. You look after those guys, you separate them. Everyone in normally in life looks after their own health. I mean, this is no difference. You just got to make sure, you know, you go out, you clean your hands, you wash your hands, you don't do this, you don't do that. And yeah, it's just, but you always find idiots who do the wrong thing, unfortunately. Yeah, and it's just, uh, you know, I don't know, everyone's just so fed up of it now, you know, and probably it's not even worth talking about on a podcast because it'll just depress people. But <laughs> I agree, I agree, definitely. Well, I, I wanted to, to talk about you and your career. I think, um, okay. you know, I, I you could probably tell I'm, I'm only 35 years old, but I grew up with you. Are you? Jeez, you look like 25, mate. I, uh, I don't know. <laughs> It's the it's the, obviously the bad the bad connection. I, I feel uh, like I'm forty, <laughs> but I, I uh, you know I you grew up uh, on the telly for me and, and my dad and I used to watch with rugby and we loved it. I played a good bit of rugby myself. I think one of my biggest accolades was most improved player of the season, whereas you were a world champion. <laughs> so it's uh, you've had quite a life. Yeah, look, it's it's quite interesting to look back. I've got uh, three kids now, and uh, they're all pretty sporty. Uh, my daughter's fifteen, Sienna, and she's in uh, made the New South Wales under eighteen hockey team. Wow! At fifteen, which is good. Jason's just turned thirteen, and he's uh, loves his crickets and rugby. And Mercedes is nine. She's been carted around the country, you know, on hockey tours and eight-hour drives and all that. So 
it's a bit hard for her to get into sport, but now she's getting the hang of it. And um, it's it's very hard because it's, you know, as a kid, you just go out there and play. I mean, I'm from a very small town down near Canberra and um, and it was sport all the time. Little, little country towns, uh, it's all about sport. And I'm actually mentoring a young guy at Randwick at the moment. And I spoke to his dad in Singapore and we talked about the, the younger generation now and just talking about, you know, the mobile phone, um, you know, the difference of style of rugby, you know, do, you, do they understand when you talk to them as a coach? You know, you look at the kids and they look at you like there's just nothing there. Um, and then he sort of mentioned, oh, he was, the other night he was watching uh, Michael Knight, you know, the Michael David Hasselhoff with Knight the car. Yeah, yeah. And he said, after watching that and laughing, he's, now, we, now he realises why we're outside the whole day because <laughs> TV programs back there were pretty crap. Yeah. So, but now it's totally different. You know, there's a lot more uh, Xbox. There's all these games to play, and these kids are, are more focused on, you know, uh, Snapchat and all that instead and of actually the, getting the out and, and span, playing. The tension span, you're yeah. Going to oh, it's li- limited. Yeah. Difficult, right? And but then yeah. sport's such a good counter to that, isn't it? And, and you you hope that sport can really be the salvation for a lot of people in that generation because you see so many problems in society with anxiety and and my, my wife's yeah. a teacher you know there's three suicides within a small you know within two years in a school you know and that- well there's actually there's it's interesting if you have a look on uh, netflix it's called the social, social media dilemma. dilemma have you yeah. seen that yeah, Mate, yeah everyone should watch it and they're all the experts who have actually created all these come out and saying don't watch it turn every so after that we've turned all nominations off my phone Sorry, yes. uh, notifications, turn them all off. And it's just, it's a, it's a shame that this is what's happened. It's, um, but society, and even the guys will say in that show that uh, AI intelligence, the people who put it in there, they don't realise how intelligent these people, the, the machines are. Out of control, right? You, out of control. And, and but then, then you, uh, I see you from your LinkedIn and, and you're an entrepreneur now, you're a keynote speaker, et cetera. And you, you do see some good in technology, right? You can use it. Uh, but you've got to kind of, um, you, you know, we're all finding our feet with it in a way. It's just kind of overtaking the world. And then we have to kind of develop principles for how we live our life and not let it dominate us. And, and, yeah. and but you're, you've connected, you know, we've connected obviously. And I had a good chat with David Moffat and, and, you know, you're, you're all around the world. You can speak to people and, and, and sort of build relationships, meaningful connections with people. Mm. So there's some good in it that wasn't there, you know, 20 years ago, you know, I, you know, it wouldn't happen. I wouldn't be speaking to a legend like you before. Yeah, but I mean, if you have a think about 20 years ago, things were fine. You go yeah. on, you know, you, you see someone every now and then. If you go, I only saw like Jason Lennon. You could ring people like that, but then you'd go on a rugby tour and then you'd catch up and that's great to see you and see you in a couple of months' time. Uh, you know, you could travel, you go to Hong Kong Sevens, you catch up all your mates there. So it's, it's a different way of uh, communicating. Yes. Um, I think also it's, it is, it must be very difficult. You know, I, I try and pass on what I know to my kids. And I said to Jason, who's a rugby player, I said, you know, when I was 13, um, we had training once a week. Uh, we were playing a Saturday and that was it. You know, there was no skills. There's no videos about how to do this, how to do that. You had to go out and play for your mates to get to like that. Or you watch, you see something on TV and you go, oh, I've got to try that. So you go outside and you try those sort of things. Where now, 
you know, you've got Instagram, you've got all these so-called rugby experts now saying, oh, these are great spiral passes, this is good. But they have a – and these young kids are trying all that. And you look at that and go, well, realistically, it looks good, but in a game of rugby, it doesn't really work that well. But these kids have got so much information, and at 13 years old now, they'll probably know more than I did at 13 because of communication. But is it good? Is it the right thing? That's the thing is you've got to separate the difference between the right and wrong. And, and you know, even the professional professional rugby, we could talk about that a bit, but, you know, it did change the game, right? And 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 whether it's you know, time in the gym and mm. and technology and things in sport, does it take the fun out of rugby in a way and, and other sports too to make it professional? Well, I think it's, um, you know, I remember in uh, someone asked today, uh, what was my weight when I was playing? I said, well, it was interesting in 1982, 80, 1991 Rugby World Cup, I was 82 kilos. Wow, yeah. Uh, 95 what height are you? World. What height are you? One seven seven. Okay. Oh, you're a short, short guy. I'm slightly yeah, taller. Five, five, ten, five, eleven. Yeah, very <laughs> yeah. short. Okay. Uh, but that was four years later. Because of Jonah Lomu, I went from 82 kilos to 92 kilos. Wow. But in that, I lost all my speed. Yeah. Because when we went professional, we were amateur one day, professional the next. So what happens? You've got to basically change your whole life. All of a sudden, you've got skin folds. You know, skin folds, no one cared. All of a sudden, you've got to go, oh, we've got your skin folds. You've got to be this. You've got to have this. You've got to weigh so much. You've got to eat this. You've got to... And it's, it's, it's a different mindset. Um, and even your genetics from Jonah, you're completely different breed, you know. And 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 well, terrible. well, well, that's what happened though. But in Australian rugby, in the world, they wanted these six foot three guys who could just run over people because of Jonah. So he changed the whole game. Um, but that's why it was so good to see Shane Williams. Oh, uh, it was so good to see Colby last year in the World Cup. Little guys still make it because we need that. You know, rugby is about all sizes. But the thing is that um, the the structure of the game, there's so much structure now. Coaches have come in, you know, and one of the worst coaches we've ever had is a guy called Eddie Jones because when he started to coach, he wanted 17 phases. He brought in that structure, 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 and then he carries on. He goes to England. Now he's got the world's biggest guys, and now he's changed his whole idea of rugby. Oh, now I'm not going to tell guys what to do. I'm going to ask them questions, you know, because over time he's realised he's probably made a few mistakes as well. Um, in the World Cup last year, it was, it was evident, you know, that um, tactics were one thing. Um, but obviously, you know, it's just the way you play the game. And if you've got some match winners, you can do something different. And that's what flair does. If you've got flair players, you still are a threat to a lot of teams where you're just told, run in this wall here. I want you to run there. I want you to run here. It doesn't, it's just changed the whole concept of the game. And then, and then physically, you know, the demands on someone's body. You look at Lawrence Delalio, for example, you know, the pins through his body. He's a, he's a half man, half machine, you know, the robotic mm. type thing in, in terms of damage he's done to himself and the repairs he's had to make to him. And is that, that's a shame as well, because there's young guys that come into the game, put on a hell of a lot of muscle mass, and then 10 years later, they're broken, you know? Well, I think there's uh, Haskell, and I think yeah. there's another player, the hooker. Um, uh, for England, they're 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 basically shot. They're they they're yeah they're gone. They they can't go for a walk. Yeah, uh, the, the, what their bodies had to go through to do that. But the thing is, if you think about now, Michael Hooper's twenty eight. He just played hundred tests. Twenty eight years old. You know they're playing like 12, 13 tests a year. 
And when you know, did you retire yourself? You were. I played at thirty. Well, nineteen ninety-six. I retired. So yeah. six. Uh, so I was like 30, 34 years old. Yes. But as a winger, I, I didn't do much. You know, I mean, the game now is is a very different game. But um, if you think about Hooper, oh, I said in eighty-two, I played three Test matches. <laughs> now there's fourteen. Yeah. You know? So, but also it's it's a very physical game. Um, but it's just the the calendar these days of rugby. It's just physically getting worse and worse. But what's also happened is the way the game's been played. The game is totally. It's like watching rugby league. You've got a brick wall. One guy goes into four guys, uh, and mathematically, one v four, one doesn't win. So the def- you run into a brick wall, you stop. The defense doesn't go anywhere. You get another big guy who smashes in. The defense doesn't go anywhere. And you're still in the same spots, you know. You haven't moved. Where in the old days, you used to have forwards running around to rucks, you know, moving the ball. Now they don't, you know. They, it's a total different game. And do you, do you expect, or do you want the rules to change in order to to kind of mitigate the damage that it does to players and make the game more interesting, etc.? Yeah, know? I think it'd be really exciting that the scrums are a mess. I mean, I don't know if you're watching the weekend. You know, the scrums are a debacle still. The referees have got no idea. It's just a guess sometimes what happens. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a long time, though, right? The scrums. Well, like... it, well, if you think about, I mean, it's I know it's different, but in in the World Cup '91, it was 11 seconds a scrum. Mm. Two packs got there. They they do it all the time. They get there. The referee had nothing to do with it. They get there. They get the ball. Ball to go. We now to go. Now the referees tell them hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, and sometimes it gives a oh you didn't hold it. And the referee changes. He says hold it. Okay, ready and now, like it's. If you let the two scrums look after themselves, they know they scrum every session, um, and maybe, maybe at the um, off the offside, everyone's offside. I don't know if you've noticed the game; everyone's offside the ruck because the ruck should be past the last man's foot. So if you have half a meter from the last man's foot backwards, so the linesman can see right across the field, um, it gives the team an extra second. But at the moment, uh, I saw in the weekend, I can prove to you on the weekend that the All Black game, the amount of guys offside when there's a kick being kicked or a box mm-hmm. kick, they're all offside. Yeah. So one year we say we can't do that. Uh, the amount of kickoffs now, the players are offside from a kickoff. But now we change. We don't, oh, it's, we've got too many things to worry about now. Don't worry about that. Well, that's the law. Yeah. You know? Isn't that why we have laws? So basically you're saying, kids, don't worry about the law. You can do what you like, which is wrong. Yeah. Are you, are you quite keen? Do you think we'll change it or before the France 2023? Is there going to be improvements in the game or do you think it's... I don't think so. I think um, I think the Kiwis and the English run the game. They'll decide what they want and mm. we'll just follow. Um, but I just think it's it's sad that we, you know, you, you're up at... We're, we're very unique in Australia because we've got rugby league, we've got Aussie rules, we've got football so and rugby. So we've got four codes and we've got crickets. So we're up against, you know... Yeah the competitors every week, you know? Um, so unless you have a really good game, which we saw yesterday, um, people can turn off and watch something else. We're in Scotland. You ain't got much if you look at not as well. So, so we've just got to cop that and we always have, but uh, if you don't entertain people, people can turn off and watch something else. Yes. Yeah. And it's uh, even for the neutral, you know, you want rugby to be interesting and, and for scrums to be, you know, just, just get the ball out, like you say, and, and play expansive rugby that you see tries scored and stuff. Well, but but even if but even if you see, um, you know, I mean, there was a tackle a couple of weeks ago. Owen Farrell did. It was it was disgusting. Yeah. You know, and he gets five weeks. Yeah. You know, I mean, the guy should be six months. 
And if you go back to last year's World Cup, the, the reason why that World Cup was a debacle is because of Owen Farrell. You know, two, the year before that in, in England, he shoulder charged South Africa and shoulder charged an Australian. I wore the wrong top today, David. I wore the wrong top. I wind you up rotten here. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I'm just saying, but that those little things make a big difference. Yes. Uh, you know, yeah. if you're going to do the laws and do, do it properly, don't sort of, oh, but he's a nice guy. He does a lot for charity. Well, a lot of people do for charity. But yeah. are you going to wait until he really hurt? That, that tackle was disgusting. Yes. Uh, you know, and he didn't care. You know, to me, he's a, he's a rugby league guy. And he's always going to be a rugby league guy. You know, and it's just bad that the way he did it. And that's why it was so good last year when that Colby ran around him because he had to try and tackle and he couldn't. Yes. And he stepped uh-huh. inside him. So it was really, really good to watch. Can you can you talk to me about, about you know, success and the teams that you've been in before? Because you, you've had such a remarkable career. And I, 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 you probably can tell I'm an All Blacks fan or, you know, I've spent a bit of time mm-hmm. with John Lomo. I've read the book Legacy by James Kerr. And, and, and it's a team that we always especially as Scots, you don't much to cheer about. So you, you, mm. you like to see New Zealand come through and, and be successful. And when you study their culture, you know, they have principles and, and they have things in place that they sort of really define their success. And it's no coincidence that New Zealand, the All Blacks are statistically the most successful sporting team in history, right? And yeah. that comes down to culture in my mind and, and the ethos of the team. So in the teams that you played in, when you were cap, uh, you know, when you're on the wing, I mean, you're you're breaking records in the World Cup. You're winning the World Cup. Mm. You were, you know, Bill McLaren's you know best player of, of all time. He said that at various points, you know, he, he idolised you, you know, and so much. You know, the greatest rugby commentator. Sorry for anyone who doesn't know. In my opinion, you know, mm. but what was the? Did you did you ever define the culture? or Was it just you had a remarkable team of individuals at the time, and you? Bit of, bit well, of I think my yeah my background was rugby league, so I had no idea what I was doing. You know, my first tour to New Zealand, 82, I was 19 years old. I was clueless, you know, and I think that really helped, you know, um, not knowing much about the All Blacks, but finding out, you know, I played them 29 times. I found out about them pretty quickly. Um, yeah, look, I just think that we, we had a great era. You know, we had uh, great coaches who allowed us to express ourselves. Um, like now in this era, I think you struggle. Flair players struggle now because there's so much structure in a lot of the teams. Um, you look at Hogg, who plays for Scotland, I think is a great player, but sometimes he's inhibited because he's trying to run the ball, but there's no one supporting him. So he gets isolated. Um, yeah. You know, if you look at the, the great Welsh, the Jonathan Davies, the uh, Gareth Edwards and JPR Williams, all those guys, the way they played the game. Uh, and Andy Irvine, who was a great player as well for Scotland. You know, there's, there's a lot of great individual players, uh, but unfortunately, if you haven't got the players around you to allow you to play like that or them to support you, you're going to struggle. You know, one of the, one of the great players I really enjoy watching is uh, Willie LaRue from South Africa. But Willie's uh, in, a, in a team in South Africa, where that, they're not flair. They just a very structured team. So yeah. he's probably been in the wrong country. Uh, just say he played for New Zealand or Australia, he did very well because we, are, we were entitled to allow players to try different things. Mm. Um, now it's a bit different because there's so much at stake. And the coaches are more, we don't want that sort of play now. We want you to do this, this and this. You know, the wingers are standing, you know, right in that five-metre channel all the time, you know, and they've got to throw a 30-metre pass to get there and, and things like that. So, you know, the culture was, for me, you know, I was, I was the youngest, so I just sat back and watched and learned. There's a lot of older guys. Uh, and then you, you get into the, the traditions of the Wallabies and... Uh, the understanding and, you know, New Zealand were the rivals because 
you know, they're three hours away. But uh, and back in those days, South Africa wasn't around. I didn't really know a lot about England until '84, uh, Ireland, Scotland, Wales, sort of those sort of countries. But um, you know, th- then you get into the road, you understand, you know, you understand the people. Uh, when you go to games, you understand what they're cheering for. You know, you can't watch it on TV because you don't understand. But when you get there uh, and watch, listen to the Welsh in the national anthem, amazing. You've got the All Blacks doing the Harker. Uh, you've got the Scotland, the Flower of Scotland, you know. Then you've got the Irish at Lansdowne Road. I mean, you, you can't be in the English, obviously, uh, singing a slave song <laughs> at Twicket, <laughs> which I didn't realise until recently. But, uh, yeah, but when you hear those sort of things, you just get sort of wind up in the whole thing, you know. And uh, and that's why I think the rivalry's been so good. Um, and the Wallaby sides I played in, like the 84 Grand Slam, uh, the Bledisloe Cup in 86, the World Cup 91. We were very fortunate for a small country to, to have uh, some, you know, some very, very good rugby teams and, and, and some great work, individual rugby players. Bloody, did you work bloody hard to, you know, at the time? Did it oh, definitely. Like you know, and, and, you know, the talk of, you know, obviously fairly more recent World Cups, Johnny Wilkinson, he was like the, the first to, to get the posts and the last at the posts in training, just kicking yeah. over and over and over. Did yeah. you have that mentality at the time that you had to just Oh, work? definitely. Yeah, yeah. you don't see what the, the, the hard work's done. All you see is the performance. Yes. You know? um, and that's that's one thing people will, you know, you make a mistake. They said, oh, you know, it makes a mistake. Well, you don't intentionally make mistakes, but you go out and make a mistake and you can either say, well, I'm not going to try anymore. I'm going to sit on the wing and just do nothing, but say, well, I didn't want to be that player. And yeah. it is, it's hard work. Um and trying to tell this generation now that guys, it's just hard work. You know, it's not about luck. It's, it's a bit of luck, but if the more hard work you put in, the results are going to come. It's not about watching videos. It's not about sitting here. It's about getting out there and doing things. Yes. You know, it's not. You know, and that, that's that's the thing that you don't see, and that's why I think we were successful in the time we were, were allowed to play and and train and and I was the same. I'd go training twenty minutes before doing the kicking and um, every training session. On Sundays I train. Uh, and when I played Nickley, I was training every day as well. So it's just one of those things, you know, to me, it's, I've always believed professionalism is not money. It's your attitude. You got the right professional attitude. You'll go a long way. If you're going to there for the money, you're there for the wrong reason. Yes. And that, that lesson can be taken to business as well. Right. And, and any team, you know, you kind of, well, you do. I mean, you need a team teams team, you know, mm. the world cup 91 was a fantastic, uh, victory by Australia. Um, you know, but I wouldn't have done my job if the other guys didn't do their job. You know, everyone's got a role, you know, um, and you ask, you've always got to have ask, a leader and you've got to have the guys around you to believe in you and, and support you. And can I ask, how did those, you know, those bonds, that, that World Cup winning team for you, you know, was it was it by design? Did they, you know, was there loads of camaraderie and loads of trust? You know, trust yep. is such a key thing, you know, and, and how did they build that? Is it just through training and, and through mutual respect or did you you know, was there convoluted ways of sort of creating this sort of trust, if you like? Well, I think back in those days, if you think about Australia, we had New South Wales and Queensland. We had two teams. Mm. So we had all the good players in two teams. So it makes a lot easier when you come to a national team if you've got the combinations already there. So Queensland had uh, Slattery, Michael Liner, Timmy Hoare and Jason Little. That's the back line. You know, obviously you had uh, Nick Farr-Jones come in. You had Tim Gavin, pardon me, as number eight. Uh, the back three was myself, um, uh, uh, Marty Roebuck and Rob Edgerton, all from Queens, uh, New South Wales. Yeah, the yeah. front row was from New South Wales. 
the back row, oh, sorry, the locks were from Queensland. So it makes it easier when you've got the combos, mm. you know. And uh, if you look at uh, rugby now, we've got five teams. So you've got five teams, but you've got players spread out over five teams. So when the national teams come together, it takes a longer time to gel them because they're all playing different styles of rugby. Um, and, you know, if you look at France at the moment, France struggle because they've got so many foreigners in key positions. So when they pick a national team, you know, the, the guys who are number 10 probably probably might only get half a game because he's got a foreign number 10. So he's got to try and fit in and play around. So, you know, that, that, that was so easy for us. Um, yeah. Now it's different. Um, and, yeah, look, I just think it's, you know, back then, you know, the Wallabies were a team that everybody wanted to play with for. And it was very, very fortunate that we had some great players. Again, but we had the coaches who allowed us to play that style and wanted to play us a, a, a running style of rugby. And uh, so in, in Scotland, we've got a huge advantage in having only two professional teams. Is that what you're saying? Well, you should have. <laughs> you should have a, a big advantage. Um, but again, you just need to have the system coming through as well. You know, you've got to have uh, another 20 system, uh, schoolboys, and they've all got to sort of play the same sort of style, you know, but you've got to have flair. You've got to have players who can do something different because once you've got that, you, you know if you've got someone injured, the next guy can come up and can fit in. But if they've got total different skill set, it's very difficult to fit into a, a system now where their skill set is different. Um, last year's Rugby World Cup for the Wallabies, our skills were poor. Individual skills were not great, you know, which is very sad for us. You know, we couldn't catch and pass the ball properly. So uh, that sort of stuff is vital when you go to Rugby World Cups is doing the simple things right. And that's where the Scotland makes so many mistakes, you know, dropping the ball and knocking it on. And, you know, and, and it's just the basics we seem to lack at times, you know, and I've always been a frustrated Scotland fan. And, and it's just the number of times that you go to Murrayfield and I don't know, you just don't think the players are turned on right or something. They're just, you know, making mistakes and it's bloody frustrating, but... Well, we'll get- a, lot of the, a lot of the times like that, it happens at training as well. You know, if you train, you've got to train the way you play. And if you drop the ball training, you're going to drop yeah. it in the game. Yeah. So it's really about the, the but trying to be the best you possibly can, you know. Um, and you know, I've been to Scotland many times and played, you know, and it, it's, it's a different style of rugby over there. And we've got to adapt. The grounds are different. But it, it's the skill factor, I think, that we in individual players that sort of we used to beat Scotland with. And, um, you know, and Scotland's you, got that flower of Scotland. They've got the big roar. They've got the big forwards. But when the pressure's on, they've got to deliver. <laughs> yes. And, uh, you know, this, you know, you've played, I guess, Gregor Townsend. You've played against mm. them in the, over the years. And, and you know, I, I'm kind of optimistic of, you know, bringing a bit more flair. And I thought Finn Russell was, a you know, a, a really good character in that he was quite like Gregor and how he played. You know, he had flair and he was either the hero or the zero in some ways. You know, I found that Gregor was probably the same. But obviously, there's been a bit of a rift between them. And it's, I don't know. I don't know where that line. Yeah, it's hard because see, it's very hard to control flair, you know. Um, and Gregor uh, obviously was a great player as well. And Stevie Larkin was very similar. Stevie Larkin struggles, I think, as a back coach because he knows in here, but trying to explain it is another thing. Mm. You know, I coach. I don't know if I'm a good coach. I coach. I tell kids, I players, this is how we got to do. It. I coach sevens on the weekends. Uh, but do they understand? Do they understand when you talk to them what you're trying to say? Because I know what I'm saying, but they probably look at and say, uh, what's this guy talking about? I don't understand, you know? So it's egos. 
as well. Yes. These guys are a huge thing in rugby around the world. We're all superstars. We're all the best. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. So sometimes you just say, so listen, mate, I'm the coach. You just go out and play. But you got if you've got a player like Finn Russell, who's a flair, you've got to allow him to play. Mm. You know? um, but, you know, I think it was last year, the year before, I think Hodge was supposed to play a game. He pulled out before and there's this and... It's just sometimes there's a lot of people around do like players, don't like players. You know what I mean? It's the crowd sometimes get sick of players who don't always turn up and play. Yes. You know, I mean, it's you've got an opportunity once in your lifetime and you've just got to make the most of it. And our pool of players is pretty, pretty poor, you know, at times. And, you know, so you can have that false sense of entitlement, you know, they expect to be able to get into the shirt the next game and, and you know, you see them, you hear stories of them at you know, nightclubs and whether it's womanizing and drinking, and it's like you're a professional rugby player, and and you know, you know, we turn up to watch you and 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 you kind of take it for granted the fact that that you are in the national side sometimes in small countries. Yeah, like, but, uh, like but they've got a life as well. I understand that, but it's it's just gotta be you gotta do it in moderation, you gotta understand, you know, what one thing that I was I was lucky that um, you know, as a kid growing up, my parents didn't come and watch me play sport. So there was never any pressure, or I just played. Your dad wasn't into uh, rugby, was that right? He was. Well, he was Italian. He was clueless. Yes. He had his grapes. He's had his garden. You know, he was one of those Italian guys that, um, you know, just played, stayed at home, and did his veggie garden and all that. Yeah. But um, what what really um, makes a difference when you when you play is that when you go out in the public, people know who you are. You know, and you are an ambassador. You know, and sometimes uh, people know what you like on the field, but off the field, you've got to be a normal person. Yes. Uh-huh. That's the hardest thing because when anyone talks about you all the time, you think this and that ever, but it, it, you, people are always watching and there's always going to be people who don't like you. You yeah. just got to, you know, or, and, or try and pick fights with you and all that. You just got to be careful where you go, you know, and who you're with. So, but that's society. It's up to you. It's not up to anyone else. You know, you've just got to have those morals to, and unfortunately these days in life, things are very different. People have got different morals. They do different things and get away with it. And, you know, you know, I was lucky. I was born in an era where right was wrong, right. Wrong was wrong. Yes. You know, there was nothing in between. Oh, well, I might've done that. Oh, I could do this. Oh, but oh, I'm not sure I was, wasn't thinking, well, that's just not good enough. You know, you got to, you know, and as parents, you've got to give your kids, you know, the understanding of what's right and what's wrong and give them the direction of doing the right thing. Yes. No, and uh, it's, uh, it's difficult even just with the social media type stuff for professional athletes and, you know, they're going to get caught out. There's someone there's going to be someone there with a camera and, and mm. you know, I, but, but I don't know, they'll, they'll make their mistakes and, and hopefully learn from them. That's the main thing, right? <laughs> yeah, true. Well, you have to, you have to learn by your mistakes. If you don't, there's a problem. You're listening to Mostly Talk. If you're enjoying the show, why not leave us a review? Thanks for listening. Now, back to it. To win a World Cup, you know, were, you, were you ambitious? Did you have ambition in you, do you think? Or did you just, you were talented and you worked hard and you, you kind of you meandered along? Uh, yeah, look, it's different. It's hard to, to look back now, but it was like we had a very, uh, we had uh, Bob DeWise started off in 82, uh, went to 83, Alan Jones came in, won the Grand Slam in 84, um, and Australia haven't won it since. And then 85, we went to the World Cup in 87, um, and France beat us, and then we lost to Wales over in Rotorua, so we finished fourth. 88, uh, England beat us at Twickenham. 
eighty nine, we had the British Lions. Uh, so I obviously the third test there. People talk about what happened there. It was one of those games. Uh, then ninety one, we win the World Cup. So you've got to go through the downs to go to the top. You can't just win all the time. You know the All Blacks have, have been as well. They've been up and down. Uh, but what's what's uh, I realised uh, I didn't realise until about last year. It's it's and it's it's a very true story uh, situation. Is that you know after the World Cup '91, you wake up and you go, okay, uh, what happens now? We're the world's best. We are hmm. the champions, and life goes on as normal. <laughs> no one cares. Yeah, yeah. So and that and someone said, what's more important is the journey to get there. Yeah. So winning. Thing is not the journey. The journey is how you got to that point. You know, so as you go on there, you set a goal. You're trying to achieve that goal. You get better and better and better. At the end, it's like a relief. You wake up and I've gone. Okay, well, I've got to fly to Italy now, and off I go and see you guys. I won't see you again. Bye. That's it. That's the sadness. Was there sadness yeah. after after that? Kind of a bit of a low for you. Well, I think it's. Uh, I was very fortunate back in '84 uh, after Grand Slam. You know, we won the Barbarian game. We we got on the train from uh, Scotland to Wales, uh, played the Barbarians. I went straight from there to Italy. So I for the next ten years, I spent six months in Italy. So, uh, you know, my mum, you know, six months after the Grand Slam, a year later, I go back to Australia and it says, uh, "How was the Grand Slam?" I said, "Mum, that was a year ago. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's finished. I've moved on because I'd always always had something else to do." You know? Yes. So, yeah, look, it was just, I think, keeping busy like that, you just, you don't really worry about it. You just move on to the next game um, and a lot of invitation games and you just go out and have fun. You know, I was very fortunate that I could go around and play, you know, many barbarian teams and just get down there and went to the Hoik, uh, sorry, to the Milrow Sevens yeah, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. and that sort of thing, win there as well. So you can get, you know, you go to all these tournaments and you, you just turn up and have some fun. Did you get a chance to meet Bill, Bill McLaren? Oh, it's a good mate of mine. He's a great mate. He's a great guy. Yeah, yeah, many times. And do you have any sh- stories that you could share about him? That you, I think the, uh, I think I'm trying to think what what tour I met him on. Uh, I think it was I'm not sure if it was '84 probably or after that, but um, I remember a train had come up to me. I think it was '84. He could have or or '88. He came to me and said, um, uh, "I knew he." I said, "Bill, how you going?" He said, uh, "Do you want a hoik ball?" I said, "Oh, thanks, Bill." He gave me a tin of hoik balls, and then he's gone, mate. Um, said, who's that guy over there? Who's that guy over there? Because so, he didn't know some of the young guys. So I just sort of helped him out to the players. But uh, no, we had a great relationship. He was a, he was a great guy. And um, uh, we were inducted into the International Hall of Fame at the same time. I think it was 2004. Wow. So, yeah. So it was a great, great honour. And to him to be part of Michael Liner, I think there was um, uh, Sean Fitzpatrick, some great players. So it was really good to be inducted, you know, with Bill because he was – you know, I'd be, I'd hate to see what he thinks of the game now, Paul Bill, because he wouldn't be very impressed with it. And and again, you know, there's no shortcuts. You know, he worked so hard. You know, studied the game religiously. You had all the names. Of well, I've got I've cards. got I've got the paper. I've got the sheet from '88 to '91. Yeah. And it was 40 hours of work. Yeah. You know, and that that's it. That's the uh, you got if, but it's like in in life. If you don't prepare, you're not going to succeed. Yes. And, and just such a gentleman as well. He's just uh, I love. Oh, definitely. Person. Yeah. yeah, a great guy. Him and uh, another good friend of mine was uh, Ian uh, Roberto Robinson. <laughs> Ian Robinson. Okay. Another Scotsman. He's been a mate of mine for many, many years. We got on really well. So, yeah. Oh, wow. And uh, what, what, what advice do you give to, to young people who get into sport? Now, obviously, you've got three kids that are quite sporty. Yeah. And, and you know, you know, you got to be 
book smart as well and, and have a, a plan B, if you like? Or do you go hell for leather and just, just throw yourself into sport for 10 years and hope for the best? Or, or... No, I think it's about um, uh, education. They've got to have a, a good education because sport's only good for a certain time. Then you've got to live life. Um, and unfortunately, like my career, I didn't really go to a, uh, I didn't really school fin- finish school properly. Um, uh, so we, we, my wife, Lara and I, we make sure that the kids are uh, got a good education because, you know, you can be a good sportsman, but one day if you get injured or you can't play, you've got to survive. So we, we try and make sure that they get the, the schooling properly, um, obviously. And what we try and do is say, they've just got to go out there and have some fun. They've got to enjoy the moment because they're only young, you know, um, if you don't enjoy it, you, you get very, you don't, you don't really enjoy the game or your friends as much. So yeah. you just got to go out there, you know, win, lose, or draw, ex- learn the experience. And I've always tried to say that uh, it's important that they try and get a idol, someone they really like, want to be like, and try and follow and understand, and and uh, and more importantly, just you know, be a be a normal person on and off the field. That sounds like really good advice, and uh, and even you know, just finding the right people who inspire you, you know, and and there is so many kind of false idols today as well, you know that. But, but you, you don't have to to reinvent the wheel with anything, do you? There's people that have kind of walked ahead of you that you can you learn from. And yeah, I think there's these social media has made it very difficult for kids because there's so many different things happening, um, and they just get caught up with all the things instead of actually, you know. It, I suppose it's also if you meet someone you like hmm. as an idol, and then you and they're nice, you know. I mean, we when we were playing, we had to promote rugby. Um, and, you know, the amount of kids that we met over the years was amazing, you know, but you've got to be a nice person on and off the field because that's what they expect, you know. But these days it's a very different thing, you know. There's so many different – you've got these influencers are supposed to be on, in, on social media who tell you what to do, what you know, and sometimes it, they get caught up with all that instead of actually being um, a normal person. But also it's important that us as parents, you know, sort of guide them and lead them on the right path. Yeah, and we've got our third kid coming this week, so we're we're I've uh, got a C-section booked for Thursday. So we're uh, I'll be back I'll back to you for advice on how to have three kids successfully. Uh, okay, make sure you get some sleep, mate. <laughs> yeah, we've we've had four years of no sleep, so that's bad advice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, you got, well, you still got a long way to go yet. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and what's uh, what's on the cards now? So you're a mentor, obviously. Your keynote speaker. Yep. You, you yep. do you still do your? I guess your old business with the. Uh, South Africa, you've got like sort of travel sort of camp things that you yeah, do. Yeah, we, we started trying to do a British Lions tour next year. But uh-huh. unfortunately, COVID-19 at the moment, you know, we're not, not sure what's going to happen. Um, uh, Australia said that there's not going to be any flights at all next year. Mm. Um, uh, South Africa at the moment said that South Africa is banned. People can't go there or vice versa. So that's going to be interesting. So, but all the, the tickets and all that are about to be sold. You've got to pay money up front now. Uh, we don't, no one's sure what's going to happen. So it's, yeah, look, it's, there's opportunities there. Um, obviously, Japan, big rugby as well. Uh, you've got New Zealand. So there's opportunities there. you just really got to try and, and uh, spread your wings and find the right avenues. Yeah, and, and, and you're, you consider yourself an entrepreneur yourself. You know, you, you keep, keep busy in the business world and... Yeah, I try to. My wife does all the work, so she's uh, she does very good. She's she's very good on Instagram and uh, posting, and uh, you know we, we try and get some um, some different ideas. Uh, the mentoring is important as well uh, yeah. for the younger kids because we've got a lot of knowledge 
to me, I think one of the biggest problems in Australian rugby over the years has been no knowledge put back in. Yes. Uh, for some reason, I don't know what it's like. You've got Gregor Townsend involved, but here, uh, as an ex-player, some ex-players, it's very hard to get back involved in the game because you're probably outspoken. Mm. Uh, you know, I said, oh, here he comes. He's going to run flare. He's going to run the ball from the dressing room. I said, well, believe it or not, when I coach, I said, if you can't catch and pass, you can't do anything else. So you've got to do the simple things right. Then you get confident. Then you can try those things. Yes. And, and you get a lot of satisfaction from being a mentor and kind of passing on. Oh, definitely, mate. It's great. It's great fun. I mean, I love rugby. It's my life. So it's, you know, if you don't, if you don't enjoy doing it, don't do it, you know. But yeah. uh, I do enjoy. I'm very passionate now. And I know that I can still offer a lot to, to anyone who needs the help. No, good for you. And, and, and you have your own training academy as well. Is that right? Is that still? Yeah, I do a lot of coaching. Yeah, I've done coaching from uh, juniors to seniors. Uh, a lot of coaches I've coached. Um, last year, we took a David Campisi Academy tour to, to the UK. We went to play Wasps, uh, Newbridge School. Uh, we went to Newport and we went to Venice wow. for 15-year-olds. So, yeah, yeah, it was good. So, hopefully we and can... You, you've obviously got strong going. strong connections in Italy, obviously. You're, you're only... Yeah, well, generation. I played there for 10 years as well. So, I've got a lot of mates there. My dad's from there and still got Rillo's there. So, yeah. And are you are you really optimistic? Italy's done so so well in rugby, really, haven't they? In short short space of time, but they can go. Yeah, far. I think they've struggled because I think even now a lot of their players don't play in Italy; they play in France. Hmm. So what happens is, like anyone else, they come back and play. Um, you know, it's difficult that if you want if you want to do it properly, you've got to play in your country, but you've got to get an Italian coach. You can't get an Irish coach or a Scottish coach. You know, you've got to get an Italian coach. Italians are Italians. Yes. You know, once upon a time, the Scottish played their own style of rugby. Australia played our style. The French played running rugby. You know, New Zealand, South Africa has been nine, you know, uh, nine, uh, was it nine-man rugby, a lot of bombs and all that sort of thing. So uh, the Italians are the same. The Italians are the Italians. They're not Irish. They're not Scottish. Mm. They're, they're Italians. So they've got to play their style of rugby. And that's they've got to do that. Otherwise, they're still going to, you know, be in the Six Nations last. Maybe... They need a, rele uh, a relegation tournament where you've got the Russians, you've got the Georgians playing a different competition. Whoever wins that plays the, the, the loser of the Six Nations and whoever plays that game, one gets promoted, one doesn't. I don't know. But we just need to get more teams involved. And the Americans and Canadians are coming through fairly strong as well, right? There's, there's hope. Yeah, for the Americans, well, there's 330 million people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if they can't get a good team, well, their sevens team is doing very well. Yeah. Um, but again, you know, the next, the next, bunch coming through are they the same you know they need to get the they've got all these, yeah they've got the, all these professional teams because i think in america they don't, they don't play until they're about you know in college they don't really play under sevens eights and nines that's where you learn everything in life yes. you're not going to learn it when you're 12 13 you, you you've already missed those little things you know yeah no it's uh yeah it's exciting it's even just the very difficult time for all sports, but but rugby, I guess, there'll probably kind of there will be a lot of teams suffer from this, and you know, be detrimental to the years ahead. I guess, fair to say. Yeah, look, it, it's 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 hard because I mean, professionalism changes everything. Hmm. You know, and you know, there's so much technology now as well, and sometimes I think you go a bit too far, but that's that's what people want. You know, you just got to sort of cop it on the chin and get on with it. And the plays are different. Uh, they're different attitudes. Um, and, you know, they're, they're different build as well now. So it's different skill factor. Um, yeah. So you just got to try and keep up with the game and, and, and keep modernised with the, what's happening. 
Yeah, it's uh, but yeah, it's such a great sport, and I I just like it for the fact that it does take people from all walks of life and different shapes and sizes, and and well, even it used well. Hopefully, that's still going to be the case. You know, you've got small guys, tall guys, fat guys, long guys, skinny guys. That's what rugby's about. Yeah, and even the respect for the referee that that means a lot to me. You don't see it in soccer or football, you know, just the you know dissent and you know shouting at the referee and stuff. And it's not a good example for the kids, is it? Well, it's not good, but I mean that's that's. Football's been like that forever, so it's not going to change, is it? Why can't so it? We just, David. Why can't it? Well, change? because it's just the mentality, you know. I mean, it's. But if you look at rugby last year in the Rugby World Cup, the amount of guys that uh, got sided. Yeah. You, know, you got a ref, a guy in the box telling the referee what to do. I mean, the referee's the referee in football. He's the boss. Look, yeah. Sometimes I, I remember in uh, 1990 we played Wales up at Ballymore, and uh, I think uh, Spreadbury was the referee. And I kicked the ball through um, and I dived for the ball and so did the Welshman. Anyway, Spreadby was 20 metres back, come back and ward the try. And as I walked past him, he said, you didn't get that. I said, no. But he'd already ward the try. And he had an inkling I didn't get to it. Yeah. So they make mistakes. You know, uh, these days, I don't know if you saw the Bledisloe Low Cup yesterday, uh, you had uh, one of the All Blacks tread on the line and you got the Australian linesman about three metres behind looking and he didn't even put his flag up. But what happened from the next ruck, the New Zealand all-back all score a try. Yes. So then you go back and go, well, hold it. If you actually put the flag, it was no try. But then you go back to the Wallaby score a try and the referee said that the McKenzie ripped the ball out, but it wasn't. The Australian guy lost the ball. <laughs> so, you know, there's so much technology these days that, um, you know, they're looking at every little thing of the game. And, uh, you know, that's, that's why it's, it, sometimes it, it slows the game down as well. And it just, you know, I don't know. You're trying to make things perfect when ultimately it's, it shouldn't, doesn't necessarily have to be perfect. It just has to be bloody enjoyable to watch and to play. And, and... Yeah, but I, but I think the coaches have come in and they've changed the game. They've changed because the coach wants to play. This is the way I want to play. This is it. This, I don't care about what's happened in the past. This is how I want to play. And sometimes he's not right. You can't change a team from running rugby to, okay, I, want, I just want you to smash it up. That's all I want you to do. You know, England's been known for big forward packs. Now they've got their centres who are bigger than the forwards. You know, half of them can't pass. It's just get to the advantage line and smash it up. I mean, is that really rugby? You know, where's the little guys, the flair, the moving the ball, the switches, the steps, the, the you know, the little chip kicks and all that sort of stuff, you know, that sort of stuff that people want to see. I always admired the that's, Welsh. That's, and I think that's where, yeah, and that's why I think we did very well in the 80s. We were different. We wanted to play a different style of rugby. And I think it goes back to the Wallabies in schoolboy team in 1977 where the Ellers played. They played a style of rugby no one's seen before. Yes. You know, and back in the world. So that's that sort of change and people got so excited about that. Yes. So now it's just like it's two teams just smashing. And at halftime, you can change their jerseys and you wouldn't know who was who because mm. they all look the same and play the same, you know. Yeah, difficult. But yeah, the world the world needs live sport to get going back again and, and sort of it does. It does. And and uh, I'm an optimist. I'm sure it'll happen and, and it'll be it'll be a lot of fun when it does, you know. Well, I just hope that they uh the coaches, you know, need to uh look at the game and say, Well, the ruck's a mess. You know, even if you have been back rucking, at least you go and forward momentum. You know, if you touch someone's head, you're out for six months. Hmm. Do it properly, you know. But I think even back in our day, there wasn't many guys who got actually kicked in the head. In rucking, you know, you got a sore back if you got caught, 
um, and things like that. But they realistically, there wasn't that bad. And if you do it properly, I mean, but there's so many char- so many tackles now at the ruck. A guy's shoulder charging as the ball gets flying. A guy comes ripping in. I mean, what's that's more dangerous. Yes, and you don't want that. You know, you, you actually want it where it's a, it's a the ball goes in. You you clean over, which is forward momentum. They're going backwards, and the ball gets thrown out, and off you go. Yes, yeah. My dad always said that at the time. You know, my dad passed away a couple of years ago, but he said he played rugby for Perth, uh, Scotland, and was captain for the seconds. And... Well, we actually went to Perth in '88. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, a nice little town, right? You know, a bit different yeah. than Perth, Australia. But yeah, uh, yeah, my dad said that when professionalism came in, he, he sort of seen it as the, the kind of the end of rugby in a way, just to, mm. you know, the, the, taking the fun out of it. And... Well, you got that. You got the uh, the traditionalists. You know, the rugby that was like in the '60s and '70s. You know, the great Welsh rugby games. You know, the flair, the running, the '74 Barbarians against the All Blacks, all those sort of things. You know, that was rugby at its best. Yes. Uh, we hope in 84 we played a style of rugby as well that people will remember because that was what people wanted to see. Yes. You know, there was beautiful rucks, the ball would come out and off you'd go, there'd be space, there'd be things. Uh, now it's just like five-minute scrums. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and you know towards the end of the game the referee's not going to penalise because he might win a game and lose a game unless you've got Nigel Owens or Wayne Barnes who's got every time there's a problem they'll always make a, a team win or lose. But, um, yeah, it's just sad that, you know, it's always up to the man in the middle sometimes to make a decision that's going to win or lose a game for you. Yes. And can you talk about the next generation? So, Campo, <laughs> is there, are we going to have another Campo on the, the Aussie team? Look, I think they're out there. I just think the coaches have got to allow them to, to try those sort of things. Uh-huh. You know, at the moment, I look at guys like McKenzie in New Zealand, the Barretts. Uh, Bowden Barrett was a couple of years ago, was a fantastic player. Uh, but now you've got McKenzie... You know, he's one of those guys that try things. Uh, an Australian rugby, James O'Connor, who's he's 30 now. He's been up and down. He had a great opportunity, but lost his marble somewhere along the track. And now he's come back and he's actually a bloody good player. He's wasted all those years, you know, um, by bad decisions. Uh, look, there's a lot of guys out there who can who can deliver. It's just that the coaches need to believe in them. And so, mate, go out there and try. And the same can be said for, for companies. You know, you have innovators within companies and they need space to innovate and to, to have that trust mm. and the freedom to do it, right? It's kind of there's analogies there that you can take from sport, I guess. Yeah. Well, I think sport and business is the same because uh, in sport you need, you need a team. You need a team. It's teamwork and business is the same. You yes. know, and I keep on telling my kids, you know, you play really well one week. I said, it's not going to help you next week. <laughs> that game's <laughs> finished. You might, have, you might have scored six tries that week. I said, next week you mightn't score any. It's not going to happen unless you make it happen. You know, business is the same. If you get a really good contract one week and you turn up the next really cocky and you don't get it, you're going to go, well, what happened? It's a, well, doesn't, you got to, you got to get better and better and better. You can't just rely on last week. And I think that's where the All Blacks have been so dominant. You know, they would play another, they want to win all test matches. Yes. They just don't want to win one. They want to win them all. So unless you've got that mentality, say, guys, forget about what's happened. This is the next challenge, you know, and that's, that's why I think they've been so dominant over the years. And then, and then your own your own family, or do you think you'll get a, another another chance, another crack at the national squad from them, or you, the, the hockey? Or the uh, I don't know, mate. It's 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 so hard these days. You know, there's so many barriers these days, and uh, this year's been a bit of a mess. Yeah. Uh, a lot of kids um, not really getting out there and about, and um, it's very interesting to see that um, how they actually understand the games and trying to get involved and. 
half the season's finished and it's going on and now we're in the cricket season. Uh, so, yeah, look, it's, it's, really, it's really just telling them to get out there and enjoy themselves. You know, the more sport you play, the better it is. Yeah, and, and we've got a young Hastings or a, another Hastings in the Scotland squad. Do you follow yeah. that story? You, have you, you oh, know? yeah, yes, I saw that, yeah. Well, he's better than the Hastings brothers anyway, so. Yeah, is that hard? Scotland, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, no, it's, it's it's interesting times. I don't know, we've got Wales uh, next, I think it's this month or the end of this month we're playing Wales, the Six Nations sort of mop up. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't know. We're just in it for uh, <laughs> just to make up the numbers this year. But but yeah, next next spring. Uh, but I mean, it's 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 sad. I mean, if you're good enough to be there, you're good enough to be there. You know, uh, I just think it's interesting with Finn Russell. Like he said, they got a problem. You know, but um, um, it's it's sad to see. You know, people. I said, oh, you know, the only reason's there because his dad's on the board or something like. You know, that's old tradition. Mate, it's give the guy a chance. If he's good enough, he's he's good enough. Yes. You know? uh, Sometimes a name is uh, does affect you in the wrong ways because people expect things. Yes. Uh, I, was, I came into the game and mate, no one knew who I was. But for my son Jason, who plays rugby, it's it's a bit of a problem. You know, they're always going to compare you. I said, mate, you just don't worry, don't have to worry about that. You know, people are going to say things. They've got no idea who I am. You just got to just live with it. Sometimes that's why I'd rather even play cricket instead of rugby. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's interesting the way that works, right? You came from such humble mm. beginnings yourself, and 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 you were unknown, and and you yeah. know there's there's less pressure on you in some respects, right? It's kind of just well, as I said, I didn't play a lot. Of, my parents didn't come. There's no pressure. No. I think out of 101 tests, I think my my dad saw two games, and my mum saw three. Yes, you know, so yeah. there was never any. <clears throat> some guys, their parents go to every test. No, so it, there's never any pressure. There's no there's no expectations. And I, I, I seen you cooking in one of these videos. You, yep. you did a, you, it was the French, there's a parody video where you did the French frog cooking. In oh, you. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, 2015, yeah. <laughs> are you are you still a keen cook, Italian blood in you? Yeah, no, I, I think during the uh, uh, the COVID uh, lockdown, every Friday night I was doing a, a, a camp as Cucina, doing a cooking every Friday. Oh, wow. I'd go live on Instagram and then I did a uh, camp as Corner. I did live on Instagram I spoke to uh, Brian Nabana. I spoke to Chris Latham, Mark Webber, oh, wow. uh, guys like that around the world. You know, not serious. So, excuse me, just having a bit of fun and, you know, just getting, getting out there and the people know we're still around. And very traditional Italian stuff, like Sugos and all sorts. You. Oh, yeah. Look, you know, I lived there for 10 years. My dad's Italian, so I, I cook, you know. I cooked. I got. A, I brought a book out 2003. It's got all my recipes in there. So, oh, wow. Yeah. I'll I'll check it out. Did uh, was it was your diet part of your success? Did you did you fucking carbohydrate? Uh, yeah, well, I didn't. Uh, I didn't really eat a lot of meat. Uh, it was all pasta. Um, okay. And you know, I, I remember before games, I'd be. It was quite interesting when I came to Italy. Um, I brought Mark Geller across as a, a coach. So he was coaching Milan, and I was playing. And um, before games, I'd end up eating fruit, yogurt, and uh, honey. That was it. So after a while, I was playing well. The Italians go, can I have what he has? Or they'd strap their hands the way I strapped my hands because it worked. It was just some weird things. <laughs> you, know, so it just, you just go, okay, guys, righto. Because that's, they think they see, well, it works for you. It must work. It's got, got to be something about it. But, are you a wind-up merchant? Did you ever do anything deliberately just to see if people would copy you? No, well, Mark Ellis said to me one day, he said, mate, if you 
strap one more piece of your body, I'll kill you. I said, why? Have a look. <laughs> and all the plays are strapped everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, look, it, it was a lot of fun. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was good. I mean, you know, rugby's given me so many opportunities around the world. You know, uh, my wife, Lara, I met in South Africa. You know, we lived in South Africa, lived in Italy. We've travelled everywhere. And it's, you know, what, what better sport can you have when you can go and visit the Queen? Uh, Buckingham Palace, um, you know, you, you get to go places no one else really goes to and you learn a lot about life and history. Yeah, phenomenal. And even just the different cultures and different people you've met throughout your life, it, it's probably you'll, you'll have a few more books in you, I guess. Is there? Would you? Well, there is a book coming out next year. Um, there is a guy called James Curran who's uh, uh, trying to release a book. It's, it's more about my flair, the goose step and how uh, maybe I was probably more revered overseas than I was in my own country. Because hmm. uh, he, every time you made a mistake, you were crucified over there. They, they seem to have loved you because of the way I played. You yeah. Know, uh, even now you're trying to get involved, but because I'm outspoken and things like that, it's very difficult to try and pass on some knowledge in this country. You know, it's, it's very, very difficult. Yeah, but I, I find you still inspiring to this day. And I think you're, you're a great guy. And, and, uh, and I thank you for your time. It's been really nice speaking to you. Yeah, next time, please don't wear that England jersey. Or I'll make a point else. of not, yeah. Please do that. Okay. But, uh, it's funny, my mum was born in like Sandhurst in, in England, so an army bar- barracks. And yep. then all through, we live in a farm in, in Scotland. And I just bloody hated England, everything about them, right? I really yeah. did. You know, so I was xenophobic. You know, I, I just wanted Australia to win. I'd cheer you on yeah. over England any day that we cheer the French on, cheer the Welch on. Yeah. And now I think, you know what, it's maybe a bit short-sighted. I, I lived down in Bristol for three months uh, when my, in my 20s. And it's just like they're fucking great people, you know. There's good yeah. people there. It's just that, you know, they're, they're big and ugly and we wanted them to lose, you know. <laughs> well, but, I think most of the world thinks the same, mate, so don't worry. You're not the only one. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, it's the rivalries, you know, because the, for especially Australians, I mean, the English sent all the convicts out to Australia. Yes. And we can beat them. So, you know, so they, they've done a great job by sending all the talent out here and they've still got no talent. So. <laughs> and uh, what was your your ancestry? You kind of, you, Second World War time, would you have escaped after that? Or yeah, you... yeah, my dad, yeah, he came out, um, I think he was uh, 21, I think it was in 90, he was born in 1950, he came out. Wow. Uh, you know, so he worked on a lot of the 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 dams and the snowy mountains, uh, the bridges and all that. It was a, it was a, a French polisher by trade. Uh, my mother was a Murphy from uh, Cork. Oh, wow. So she came on tour in 96 and um, we were at a hotel in Cork somewhere and we're in the lift walk, getting the lift. Some general got in the lift and said, morning, some morning. And said to myself, what are you doing today? I said, well, I'm going to the, uh, the cemetery. What for? Well, I want to see where my aunt, you know, my uh, family comes from. And he said, what's, what's your name? Murphy. He just laughed. He said, you'll be there for a long time because <laughs> there's a lot of Murphy's around. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, look, you know, it was great for my mum to come over and um, go on one of the tours, which was very unusual for my family. But, yeah, like it was uh, – you, you, you can't beat that sort of stuff, you know, in sport. You know, it's rugby. Rugby is a very unique sport. And uh, your mum and dad, where did they meet? In Australia or, or- – yeah, well, my dad came to Queanbeyan, uh, lived in, uh, built a house in the same street my mum was born in. Oh, wow. And, yeah, so, I mean, that was, you know, he just, he lived, uh, he built a house where we all grew up in as well. So, you know, back in those days, four kids, older brother, two younger sisters. And, mate, we just, you know, we had a black and white TV and 
sport was it? And you go out there and you play until six o'clock at night every night. And, and your dad was a you know a sportsman, but a grafter, and that, that's kind of a lesson that you learned, obviously. Well, yeah, he was very you know he had his own garden. He you know he made his own wine and all that sort of stuff, typical Italian. Um, and we used to go around the shops and around the the, the departments and that sell the vegetables, the tomatoes, the eggs, and because we had all that there. So yeah, it was quite interesting upbringing. Yeah, and did he when he left Italy? Was it was it was he running away from a kind of a lot of poverty and, and destruction after the war, or was it kind of? Uh, well, back in those days, I think the Australian government were looking for skilled migrants to come to Australia to build okay. Australia, right. and uh, he was part of that. So yeah, so I think that was because we didn't probably have the the qualifications out here back then. But he came out. He was it's pretty gutsy for a twenty one year old to yeah get on a boat yeah. and come all the way. But my dad took us back to Italy when I was uh, probably two years old. You know, it was one of those big cruises. You know, there was four kids, and off we went. And I think I took about. I don't know how long it took. Can't remember to get it there, and I stayed. We stayed in Italy for two years and came back. So yeah, wow. It's uh, it's even just a, a nice wee story in itself. Like the what your family have had to do to get to where they are today. You know, it's impressive. Yeah, well, I think you just got to make the most of life. You know, you're here for a short time, really. You just got to, uh, you know. I think I was very fortunate to be in the right place at the right time, and uh, I had a gift of going out there and doing something that works. You know, when it didn't work, it didn't work. If it worked, it worked. So, but it was never something that held me back. You know, you've just got to believe in, in yourself and hopefully at the, there's light at the end of the tunnel there somewhere. Yeah, and, and can I say, well, you've been very generous with your, your time and thank you very much for, for chatting to me, David. You're, You're welcome, mate. No worries. Take all look after yourself, eh? Good luck next yeah. week. Thanks for tuning in to Mostly Talk. That was the legendary David Campisi. What a great guy he is. I'm sure you all agree. Uh, so humble and, and uh, a nice a nice way with them as well. I'm uh, excited to, to announce that Michael Fair of BIT is the next episode. So tune in for that and find out a bit more about what we do at Mostly.Consulting. Thanks for listening to Mostly Talk. Find us online at mostly.consulting. And if you enjoyed today's show, why not leave us a review or tell a friend?